It is so sweet to be back with you and to be back in Colorado. One of the things that I noticed was how remarkable the change is behind your home. Right? It's it's not new fully. It's not going to be what it will one day be. But it's fantastic that it has come to that point of it's green and it's growing and it's not burnt and brown. You can hardly believe there was a fire. You have to look. You can still see some evidence, but it's gorgeous to see the beginnings of restoration. And that got us talking about restoration as a theme. Friends, welcome to the Ransomed Heart podcast. You have been listening to the voice of Dan Allender, my dear friend and a friend of Ransomed Heart for many years, and John Eldridge here. And we wanted to bring you into a conversation that the two of us have actually been having over the course of many years now about the intersection of counseling, understanding story, kind of the role of that in a person's restoration, intersecting with the realms of kind of the imminent presence of Jesus and his kingdom and how that gives you the tools of spiritual warfare and of inner healing as well. So kind of intersecting those realms together. And what got this going this morning over the breakfast table was Dan kind of marveling over the greenness. You know, some of you may not know the story, but three years ago now, the Waldo Canyon fire swept through the Front Range here west of Colorado Springs and then into Colorado Springs and tragically destroyed hundreds of thousands of acres of beautiful forest and more than 300 homes. And our house sits on the very edge of that forest line, and we were among those evacuated, and we were certain that our home was lost. And I've told that miraculous story in other places and podcasts, but we had 30 days of rain this year in May, and the hillsides are Flush with green. (laughs) It's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. And that got us talking about restoration in people's lives. Like restoration is a theme. I think the comment you made this morning as you were looking out the window was something along the lines of how can we not – what was it? Believe How can we not believe that this is what God – celebrates, rejoices, and is committed to. He wants the brown, burnt portions of our life brought back to life, brought back to that kind of green, Edenic life. And sitting there looking over this glory and going, why is it that I can see this in the plant life before me, but somehow I'm a bit more surprised that he wants that on behalf of my own heart. Oh, completely, completely. And the comment that I had made was, it feels like even the best of us and even the best counselor, therapist, we fall back to management. We fall back to, well, I mean, restoration would be lovely, but I don't really expect that. So let's Let's figure out how to just manage my brokenness. What's the next best thing if restoration, true restoration, is unlikely? Yeah, right, right. So, Dan, as you think about the category of restoration, let's talk about it. Let's put it back in the center. Let's lift it back up as the the very 
offer of God. As you think about restoration, what are the categories that come to mind? Like what's needed in a person's life for restoration? What comes to mind? Well, let me do two things quickly. One is to say I believe in restoration, but something in my own heart was surprised this morning as I'm looking out and saying, do you expect the same thing for your own heart that you have seen mm. with regard to this landscape. Mm. And I think that was the shock this morning of going, no, yes, yes, I no, yes, no. And really with something of the revelation of my own sense of disappointment of is it right to actually anticipate something so good on my behalf and mm. others and – at least this morning, I had to come to say I trust the work he does in the soil better than I do the work he does in my own soul. Yeah, me and too. to confess that and name that and then to say, yes, I do believe in restoration and what's required, I think in some ways, always begins with truth. The truth sets you free. Somehow truth about who God is, truth about the nature of what the world is like, truth about who you are, mm. the nature of how you've been made, the reality that truth is always calling us into a relationship because truth isn't just an abstract set of propositions. It's actually a person calling us into relationship. So that truth is also beautiful because mm -hmm. truth has a face, mm. uh, the face of Jesus. Okay, Let me pause you just for a moment. So when you're saying truth – you're also referring to, in the counseling process, the truth that was marred in your life as you grew up, the truth that was stolen from you, the truth of what was stolen. You're saying that as well. Oh, immensely so, that we have so many distorted views, not only of ourselves, the world, and God, but also distorted doesn't get quite to the level of we've got perverted views of who we are and who the world and what the world is. So when we begin to own the truth about ourselves that actually I'm afraid of this or I'm angry about that or I'm unwilling to risk here, if I begin to name what's true, I think most people feel the immediate pressure and presumption that they ought to change. Mm. But the truth calls you into a kind of vulnerability, a level of honesty. Mm. So truth mm. opens the door to honesty. But again, honesty is never enough. It is necessary but not sufficient. So far more, if truth calls us to beauty, that is to the face of Jesus, then mm. beauty must change us as well. Mm. To be in the presence of beauty this morning, I could have had the thought about restoration, but somehow being in mm. the presence of this glory open my heart even more to desire mm. what it is that he has created me for, mm. which is truth. Yeah. So truth and beauty are absolutely central to the change process. I think that God gave us beauty because it speaks beyond all arguments, like beyond all your theology, beyond the wreckage of postmodernism, beyond the collapse of conviction that anything is stable, reliable, absolute, eternal. I mean, beyond all of that, beauty still speaks. Mm -hmm. It still speaks. I remember I had a really profound experience in 
my practice as a private counselor years ago. I had a woman in, you know, details aside and I won't even give names, that kind of thing. But she had been through a very tragic experience in her life and she was a pretty damaged soul. But every time she came in, I noticed that she wore little flowers like tucked into her buttons or, you know, lapel or whatever. She had little flowers. And finally one day I just couldn't help but asking about that. And she said something to the effect of, oh, only beauty helps. Only beauty helps. And see, there, despite the damage, you know, how far she was yet from restoration, beauty was calling to her. Beauty was calling to me, to you. Beauty, it speaks, it invites, it heals. There's something about truth, something about beauty, and then you had a third category. Well, if beauty allures and draws us, awakens desire, and creates in some ways a portal for imagination for what it is that we will one day know in glory, then you can hold truth and glory, but you've got to surrender to it. Mm. <laughs> you've got to mm. you've got to say yes. Mm. I receive. I let go of that which has been my life, mm. holding on to in some mm. ways my bondage, mm. while simultaneously releasing in a way in which your hands are now free to take what it is that he most desires for you to have. In that sense, I would say it is kindness. Okay, wait, wait, wait. I'm going to make you go more slow through there because I think people get surrender. I mean, I think that at least they know, you know, there's something in us that says, right, right, right. I've got to let this go. I've got to surrender my control over my marriage or my control over my kids. It's just that's not in my hands. I need to surrender things like self-reproach. I need to surrender my self-hatred. So I think people get the category of surrender, but you're saying something more than that. Well, that at least what we hold often really is an idol. It is a god that we have come to believe will bring a life that will only come through that change in my child, change in my health. And without this, I am bereft. I am poor. Mm. And in that, mm. I've got to take hold. I mean, you're literally asking me to give up my life mm. when indeed what's true is he's asking you to give up that which is eating your life, yeah. destroying your yeah. life. Yeah. This isn't about a God who wants to take away pleasure. This is a God who wants to give you mm. pleasure, mm. glory, yes. beauty, yes. truth. But your hands are so full. I mean, you know those moments of where mm. you're carrying. I mean, I brought groceries in with my wife and I had three bags. I thought it was quite impressive. Yes, sir. And, yes, sir. Three bags full. Yes. And my <laughs> wife said, can you get the keys? I'm going, what do you want me to do? Juggle? Throw a bag in the air and grab the keys? Yeah. I can't carry any more. And it didn't require that much to put one bag down, pick the keys up. But it just felt like you've asked almost the impossible of me to put this down now that I've got my hands full. Right. Well, letting go is for the purpose of receiving. And what are you receiving? Well, delight, 
kindness, mm. the favor mm. of Jesus. Mm. And that beginning change, again, this mm. is not abstracted out of your story, out of the reality of your day-to-day living. It's not you separate these worlds. I think the key to counseling, which obviously is my world, is to engage these core questions with regard to how you're carrying groceries in, mm. uh, how you're dealing with your mm. own mm. past abuse, yes. how you're dealing with the fact that your husband is at times cruel. Yes. Uh, or your loneliness or your addictions or your constant return to guilt and self-reproach or your rage or whatever it may be. You're saying there's an act of surrender that opens your hands – to receive something from God. Right. That allows you to grieve, mm. to struggle, mm. to honor, mm. to bless, so that the complexity of the Christian life, not the simplicity, but the complexity is allowed to be there in and with the simplicity of mm. his love for you. Mm. Mm. So these categories, truth, the allure of Beauty, goodness, love that we're kind of putting under beauty and then this open-handedness of yielding the things that frankly are killing us so that we might receive from God. Those categories really feel like they've come out of the counseling world. You're a counselor and those are your <laughs> those are your categories, <laughs> yes, right? They are. And what I want to interject into those now – from my world, those of you who might not know the story, I trained under Dan. That's where I got my degree and and had a private practice with Brent Curtis. And then after his death, tried to carry that on a bit. But then God sort of called me into what has become now Ransomed Heart. So I don't have a private practice anymore. But nonetheless, we are greatly involved in the war for the soul and in the restoration of people's lives. So what I want to introduce in addition to those three now, I want to introduce – Warfare and inner healing. You and I have spent a number of years now talking about the integration of these things. And not all amiably. <laughs> well, you've come in kicking and screaming. But... I have kicked and screamed quite but, loud and long. But the proof is in the pudding, isn't it? It is. Only so. Oh, my goodness. And what we've discovered over the years is that, you know, as people get into their story, as they begin to encounter the truth, whether it's the truth of their own brokenness, the truth of their rage, addiction, the truth of their past, the truth that they did not grow up in the, you know, idyllic Christian home, that, you know, whatever their encounter with the truth is, it is not sufficient. There are at times dark forces that are blocking the way to restoration, blocking the way of beauty, blocking the way of surrender, and that as we are willing to face the reality of Ephesians 4, you know, where Paul says, look, don't let the sun go down on this stuff and don't give your enemy a foothold. Well, the truth is we've all let the sun go down on this stuff more than once. I mean, we've let a thousand suns go down and therefore a thousand footholds, right? And just context and history, nothing of what you're saying would I have differed with my whole Christian life. But I had allowed myself the illusion that I was a therapist and in some ways like saying I'm a plumber mm -hmm. and 
I don't do electricity. I'm all for those who do electricity. I remember sitting with you and Brent. We would meet at times in between Colorado Springs and Denver and a lovely little restaurant. I remember sitting with the two of you saying, look, I am so for what you do. <laughs> it's just not my work. Yep. And I remember Brent going, yeah, so you'll do everything but windows and toilets. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's true. I mean, I'm all for people who do warfare. Right. But I yeah. do warfare through the means of counseling. Yeah. Yeah. And now? Well, it's too long a history, shall we say, to encapsulate, but to say having to look at the nature of warfare with regard to my own life. Look, I'm all for the people I work with, but I do live with myself. Yeah. And when I began to name and see uh, particularly what you came to name, spirits of death, uh, related to my own story. My father died in an auto accident when I was just a month or so before the age of four. I'm beginning to look at the trajectory of not just my story, but the nature of what seemed to be the debris in my life mm -hmm. consistent mm -hmm. with spirits of death began yes. to get clearer. Yeah. And as I got clearer that – these were not going to go away by insight. It was quite helpful yeah. to have insight. But they weren't departing on the basis of knowledge. Mm. Uh, something else needed to occur mm. for there to be restoration and that was the process many years ago that opened my eyes that, no, I need to do windows, toilets and everything else in the house that I'm called to engage. Right. Resist your enemy and he will flee from you. That's the promise in James 4 and in 1 Peter 5. Resist and he will flee. No resist, no flee, right? So introducing the category of warfare it is so helpful, 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 helpful in people's search towards their restoration because, you know, as we've just encountered – and this went all the way back into – you know, Brent and I kind of stumbled into this with a number of other dear people, Jan – Myers Proet has to be named in that, and our dear Laura Hardy and others that we're just encountering blockades to restoration that can't be addressed through the traditional tools of understanding. Clarity does not bring restoration. <laughs> you know? uh, understanding does not bring healing, right? Clarity brings clarity. Understanding brings understanding. But so introducing that and then also introducing into this whole conversation of what do people need for their restoration? Also, inner healing. We had a phenomenal experience. You and I were fishing one day years ago, and you began to talk about your father's accident and his death. And there was an opportunity to pray together there. And Jesus came to the four-year-old boy, and you saw him out in the front yard pulling up tufts of grass and kicking and screaming. And Christ came to you there mm -hmm. in ways that nothing else had touched. No, and I can say again and again, oh, I knew that story and I had engaged that story in ways that I think many choose not to do. Yeah. And there had been goodness yes. already, but not in one sense a disposition that brought about these new shoots of green to the burnt ground. It was more like the burnt ground had become a memorial, mm. a place of mm. honor, yes, but not restoration. Yeah. So 
in holding a different way of caring for that boy, even from years, decades before, I had thought that was all. That yeah. was enough. Yeah. And it was too bad that this burnt ground was never going to be lush again. Mm -hmm. But I think from that moment on, not only praying against spirits of death and a number of other matters, but also beginning to care mm -hmm. and let Jesus mm -hmm. care mm -hmm. for that four-year-old boy yes. during our time of prayer was, yes. I would say, one of the most important hours of my life. Yeah, it was incredible. It was so beautiful. And that category of inner healing, like actually inviting the imminent presence of Jesus into the moment, the memory, whatever it may be, the trauma, the loneliness, wherever the heart is broken. Isaiah 61, I have come to heal the brokenhearted, the leb shabar, right? The literal broken heart. Jesus says, I want to heal that. Yes, 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 I want to bring you comfort. Yes, 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 I want to bring you clarity. I want to empathize with you. I want to create a safe place for your emotions. I want to help you grieve. And, and, I'm pounding on the table now. And I want to actually restore Right. I want to make those hillsides actually green again. George Herbert, the beautiful English poet from hundreds of years ago, says, Who would have thought my shriveled heart could have recovered greenness? Mm. That's what we're after. We're actually after restoration, not just management, not just coping, not just handling your fragmented self better, you know, through discipline and faithfulness and truth-telling and, you know, but we actually are after restoration. And this is where this beautiful category realm provision of God of inner healing and warfare interact with some of the more kind of traditional therapeutic pieces of truth, right, and understanding your story and that sort of thing. They, they kind of all come together and it's changed your practice. Oh, it has immensely. Maybe more important to me is it's changed my marriage. Yeah. Uh, but yes, it's changed how yes. I sit with people because there's more capacity to hear Jesus yeah. and to be guided by him. Yeah. And maybe it'd be delightful if I heard him in every moment telling me what to do. But mm -hmm. Jesus wants us to paint. Mm. And more often than not, he simply gives us a canvas and says, go create. Mm. But he also knows how the painting is meant to be even more beautiful. So mm. there are moments where mm. Jesus will simply say, you really need to not go that direction. Mm -hmm. This would be a better direction. Mm -hmm. So to have mm – -hmm. uh, put it in this language, to have Jesus as a supervisor mm -hmm. is an immense gift. Mm -hmm. So the ability to engage story, to do so against the work of evil, mm -hmm. but also with the presence of that which will bring newness. Yes. Not just management as you yes. put it well, but yes. newness. Yes. Well. Who wouldn't want to be doing this? Right, right, right. And so these are the tools that we want to put in your hands, friends. Dan and I have kind of 
held off. I don't know why. I think it was timing or something else that doing a conference together for years. I mean, you were busy. I was busy. You have a full world. I have a full world. But finally, we just came to the point where we said, these things must be spoken of. They must be taught and unpacked and shown how it works together. So we are going to offer this next March, March of 2016, here in Colorado Springs in a full two-day experience, kind of all day Friday, all day Saturday, more details to come. But part of what we want to do is sort of say, save the date. The dates are March 4th and 5th, all day Friday, all day Saturday, here in Colorado Springs. So you would come in on a Thursday night and join us Friday and probably you know leave on a Sunday. But in those two full days, what we hope to do is lay out a fuller understanding of the very things that we're describing together with enough illustrations of it that people kind of get the hang of it. And we have so many beautiful stories to tell from our own lives. I mean, there was a very, very precious time of prayer with our wives mm. back in February of this year, right? Yeah. Still with great, sweet – I mean – Sweetness is just a great word for this. Not only restoration, but he wants sweetness for us. Mm. Everything that mm. a good chocolate is mm. meant to bring mm. in terms of mm. raising our level of pleasure, that's his intent. Yeah, yeah. And so let me back up, friends, and repeat what we said at the beginning. The offer actually really is restoration. And I know, I know, I have all the unbelief you do around that sometimes, that sometimes it just feels like the enemy is winning. Sometimes it feels like destruction's winning. It feels like, you know, the best thing we can do is cope. You know, we kind of try and find management strategies, right? But I just want to say the offer, the offer, the offer is restoration. In fact, Jesus is upset late in one of the Gospels. I think it's late in Matthew with his people, with the Jews, and particularly with the Pharisees and the stubbornly religious. He quotes the Old Testament and he says, these people's hearts have become calloused and their ears are stubborn. He says, lest they turn to me and be healed. And you can hear in the offer, his anguish is, if you would turn to me, I will give you restoration, not just clarity. <laughs> Right? So many passages on this. The offer is restoration. Paul says, yeah, you know, though outwardly we are wasting away, your body and my body are not able to do what they used to. But inwardly, Paul just assumes. He just throws this thing out there. But inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Day by day. And I want to go, wait, who is? <laughs> wait. You are assuming an experience of the Christian life, inward renewal, restoration of the soul. And man, I want that. I want, I want more of that. Well, to me, the vision of what we're trying to create is you don't need to leave your story behind mm. in order to know restoration. Mm. And I think that has oh, you become can't. the – classic neoplatonic structure applied to the therapeutic world. The body is evil. Somehow the spirit is good. That's the platonic 
mm. divide. Mm. And now somehow your past is bad, mm. but your future and God's plan is good. Mm. So dump your past and get on with the goodness mm. of what is now and now for the future. But when we hold the reality that, no, wait a minute, your past is being utilized even in its brokenness for the purposes of revealing Jesus mm -hmm. and his story. Mm -hmm. When your story is allowed to be honored but also not presumed to be only what will be, mm. that somehow mm. the past does not contain the future but actually is meant to be revelatory of what will one day be. So to allow us to have that realm of no, 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 we need to learn how to be present mm. to that which can be seen. Well, it's as simple as this. If you won't give Jesus your past, the enemy sure as hell is going to take advantage we'll of it. Will take every portion. Right? And then he just, you know, then there's the guilt you can't ever get over, the fear you can't get over, the relationships always collapse, why you can't move forward in your dreams, longings, hopes, career, you know, name it, right? It's like if you won't bring I like to refer to it sometimes as sanctifying the past. Mm -hmm. Right, We bring our story back out into the light and we bring it into the light of Jesus. You know, you neglect that? You just leave all that stuff in the closet? <laughs> it's not going to go well. Right. Well, think of those three realms we've put words to. I'm known far more in the therapeutic realm. But in that, I'm still staggered how many therapists don't really deal with story directly, the details, the particularities, the – richness of one story that takes time and mm -hmm. energy to allow it to eventually come to be spoken and then heard and then engaged. Mm. But it typically, certainly not describing everyone, but typically therapists don't deal with the unseen realm. Mm -hmm. They may presume it because they're mm -hmm. Christians, mm -hmm. but it's sort of like it's kind of off limits. Right. So then you've got a community of people who are deeply committed to dealing with evil who, frankly, for my world, often choose not to engage story. Right. And so they truncate their own particular portion of the world yes. and therefore lose the richness. Yep. I'm less familiar with those who do inner healing, but my suspicion is you've got three separate silos. Oh, you do? You do, and it's tragic. And here's the deal, is that in order to get to inner healing, you have to unpack the story because it's in the telling of the story that, oh, there it is. The places are brought to the surface that then need the intimate presence of Jesus and his healing, right? And the same thing with warfare. For example, if you just hold on to warfare as your tool, you know, and you're banging away on something but you don't realize how deeply rooted that is in your story or perhaps how much healing that that needs. And sometimes the warfare goes away simply when the story is brought to light. These three things, they really do lovely, beautifully, fabulously. How else do I shout this? Interplay together. Integrate. Yeah, integrate. Well, and that's in some sense – I think it's a very bold and hopefully recognized at least on my part – it's a very humble thing to say. What we desire to be in conversation with many others is how do we bring this integration 
not just for ourselves but for others? How do we help people be restored? Exactly. Not just in the inner world yes. but actually in our theoretical model yes. where we aren't just therapists. Yeah. We aren't just people who do warfare yeah. or people who do inner healing but people yeah. who do all the work of God. Yeah. So to make it clear, this is a conference we're doing March 4th and 5th. 2016 here in Colorado Springs. And it's not just for therapists. It is for people working in the healing realm, pastors, youth pastors, social workers, helpers of all types. But it's also for all those who are just wanting restoration. And I'm in the front row on that one. I'm very selfish about my desires for all this. I personally want more restoration. And so... While Dan was in town, we just wanted to grab a moment here in the studio to let you in on the conversation he and I have been having over several years and then tell you about this exciting event that's taking place next March. Registration is now open for the Restoring the Heart Conference. To find out more and to register, come to restorationconference.com. So that's restorationconference.com. And you'll find more information and you'll be able to sign up. We have a sense that this is probably going to fill up fast. So don't delay. You've been listening to Dr. Dan Allender and John Eldridge here on the Ransomed Heart Podcast. 